please, brothers and sisters, if you would, turn with me to our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, and verses 9 to 20. Mark, chapter 16, and verses 9 to 20. Hear with me then, please, the reading of, of God's Word. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe him. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after He had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the accompanying signs. Thus far as a reading of God's Word. Well, brothers and sisters, today ends about a a 20, I think, month study in the Gospel of Mark. We now bring the Gospel of Mark to its conclusion today. Uh, This was a gospel that Mark wrote in order that men and women would hear the testimony concerning Christ and that they themselves would believe that He is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is a gospel that began very early on in Mark chapter 1 with Jesus at the beginning of His earthly ministry going forth and preaching the gospel Himself, saying, repent, believe in the gospel of God. This is a a gospel then that we see today in Mark chapter 16 that ends the very same way with Jesus now directing the remaining 11 apostles to go out into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Although Jesus, when He first came, directed the message primarily to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, we see that He calls upon the apostles now to broaden that message to all Jew and Gentile alike. Also, what we see is that this is why the apostles have been following Jesus for these three years. Why they have been witnessing how Jesus interacts with the widows and with children and with the religious Jewish leaders and with those who come to Him by faith and with those who come to Him just wanting something from Jesus. This is, this is what it was for. These three years before to, to see all these things because now He is going to send them out into the world. This was training them. This was preparing them. This was was making them fit for the task. This is why he, He tested their faith on multiple occasions. 
This is why He verified the truthfulness of the message to them through miracles. This is why He sought to strengthen their faith and and cause them to lose all self-dependence and cleave wholly upon Christ and His Word. And yet, how often do we see that they doubt? They, They forget God's Word. They forget His promises. They, they struggle spiritually. And yet, how does Christ respond to them in, in all of this? Right? How does Christ respond to them? Well, He continues to be long-suffering with them. He continues to be patient with them. He continues to love them and have compassion and pity upon them because it was He that chose them for this task that He is going to appoint, which is to bear fruit for Him. And so his kind of last act of love for them is to appear once more before them, before he ascends on high, even though they abandon him. And we see this in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, where we're told that Jesus presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now what we we're going to see in our text today though is that Jesus, before Jesus appears to them, it it doesn't come without first some resistance from the apostles. Now we read in verse 9 that it's Jesus who first appears, even before the apostles, to Mary Magdalene. He appears to her first. And it's added here in Mark's Gospel that Mary Magdalene was someone who Jesus had casted seven demons out at one time. Now Mark didn't make this up. We find this in In Luke chapter 8, it has a parallel in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, where we read there that among those who were following Jesus, in addition to the apostles, were some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So Jesus at one point had, had healed Mary of these seven demons. And now, this ought to explain a lot of things for us though, doesn't it? This explains to us why Mary is so devoted to Jesus. Why Mary was standing there at the foot of the cross when Christ died. Why Mary was standing there seeing Joseph of Arimathea putting him into the tomb. And why Mary is the first one to be at his grave as soon as the Sabbath had ended. It is because Mary knew herself much about the grace of God. And so she listens to what she was instructed to do by the angel that we looked at last week, which was to go back, tell the apostles that Jesus was going to go before them to Galilee just as He had promised them. And so Mary returns and she tells the apostles this good news. But what do we find the apostles doing? Right, Weeping and mourning. Right? The eleven have gathered together. They are weeping and mourning. Obviously, why are they weeping and mourning? It's because Christ has died. Right? They are sad that their Savior has died. Perhaps they are weeping and mourning because they realized that the last thing that their Savior seen before He died was their own wretchedness and sin and abandoning Him and, and Peter and denying Him. Jesus, though, tells them that this is exactly what would happen. In John chapter 16, verse 20, Jesus tells the apostles, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And so we see them here lamenting. But their lamenting quickly takes a turn we see here. And it turns into utter rejection of the message that Mary comes and brings because we're told in verse 11, but when they heard that He was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. 
But they would not believe it. And isn't this really a, a picture of, of what continues to go on today? Right? That the, that the message is proclaimed. The good news is declared. People see the, the power of God working in, in family members who maybe once lived wretched lives and now live lives to Christ. They, they hear these stories about the 500 who witnessed the risen Christ and yet all the while people in this world continue to deny the resurrection of Christ. Right? They, they continue to deny belief in Him and reject Him. But even though people deny the Gospel... It is the Gospel we see today that Christ commissions His apostles and even ministers today to go out and to declare. Because sure, the message will be denied by some. Right? It will, just like the, the seed in the parable of the sower, it will fall on thorny ground. It will fall on rocky ground. But guess what? When the message is declared, it will also fall upon good soil. Right? This is why the Gospel is so vitally important. This is why Jesus tasked them to go out into the world and to proclaim it. Because this is the message that people need to hear to be saved. Right? This is the message that Jesus uses to bring His sheep into the sheepfold. And so, with the verses that remain, then what I want to do is consider, consider the importance of the Gospel to the unbelieving world. Why is it so necessary that the unbeliever has to hear it? Why is it necessary even for believers to constantly be reminded of the Gospel. And why is it that that Mark ends his Gospel with the Gospel? So these are things that we want to look at as we continue to move forward. And so, our first point this morning will be the hardness of the human heart. The hardness of the human heart. And we'll look at verses 12 and 13 together once more. In verses 12 and 13, we read this. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Okay. Now, what verse 12 is speaking about, many of you maybe already know, is Jesus' encounter with those two men on the road to Emmaus. That's what this is talking about here. Jesus' encounter with those men on the road to Emmaus. If you remember, these men were talking as they're walking and uh, they believed that Jesus had died and that the mission had failed and that the redemption that He proclaimed was, was not going to come. And Jesus comes and He talks to them. But they don't recognize Jesus. And we're, to- we're told further in that story as they're walking, Jesus sits down and He dines with them. Right? He sits there and He dines with them. And... It is not until they're dining with Him that all of a sudden, finally, they're able to see Him. Uh, This is what it means, though, when it talks about that Jesus um, is seen in another form, or that He appeared in another form. It's not that Jesus uh, comes onto the scene as as like uh, taking the shape of a dolphin or something, or that He, you know, grew, uh, you know, a foot or or, or put on extra a weight. What, What Luke tells us in his Gospel, chapter 24, verse 16 is that these men weren't allowed to see Jesus. And it wasn't until later on, after they dined with Him, that the, the scales from their eyes are removed and now they can see Jesus. So it's not that Jesus takes them in bodily another form, but, but to them in their eyes, He looks different. This is why to, to Mary Magdalene, we're told in John's Gospel, in, in chapter 20, verse 15, that Jesus appears to her as a gardener. Right? She thinks He's a gardener. Right? It's not until those scales are removed from their eyes that they're able to see Jesus. But it's not that he, he changes in, in any way. It's their eyes that are open to now 
see Jesus. And so we're told then in uh, Luke 24, in verse 33 and 34, though, after these, their eyes are opened, Jesus departs and they arose the same hour and they return to Jerusalem and they find the eleven and they tell them that the Lord is risen. Right? So those two who are on the road to Emmaus eventually find the eleven and tell them Jesus is risen. We have seen Him. And so we see not only do they deny Mary's testimony concerning the risen Christ, but they also, we're told, deny these two men's account of seeing the risen Christ as well. Right? It's not until verse 14 of our text when Christ appears to them Himself that now they see and believe. But this is why Jesus then rebukes them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe that He had risen based on the testimony of His brothers and sisters. They didn't even believe it uh, the, the promises that, that, that Christ had given to them, that He would raise, be raised on the third day. And in this, what I want us to see, though, is the unwillingness of the, of the human heart to believe. Right? The unwillingness of the human heart to believe. This is why the Gospel has to go forth. Because we come into this world with stubborn, unbelieving hearts. We come into this world with hearts hostile to Christ. Right? We come into this world sowing naturally to that which is evil, not sowing naturally to that which is spiritual. That's because we are natural men in this, and women in this world, and so we can't discern that which is spiritual. Right? And we saw this time and time again in Mark's Gospel, did we not? The natural man not being able to understand the spiritual things of God. We've seen this when Jesus performed miracles and the scribes looked on. What did they say? They said, oh, He does this by the power of the devil. Or what do we see when Jesus healed the, the paralytic and, and then forgave him his sins? And he, he demonstrated that He made that man spiritually whole that day through making him physically whole. And still, what do they call Him? Right? The scribes, as they sit there, they call Him a blasphemer. Right? But this is the heart of natural man. Right? Jeremiah tells us this in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? You see, it is this sick and this diseased heart that is in dire need of life-saving medicine. And that life-saving medicine can only be found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. This is why He's called the, the Great Physician. Because He is the doctor of our souls. He is the doctor who helps dying and diseased hearts. This is why Jesus spends the entirety of His ministry going from town to town, and city to city, village to village, synagogue to synagogue. He understands this. He understands that these unbelieving hearts need to hear the Gospel and only then will they be converted. And although the apostles were unfaithful at many points in their ministry, this is one point in which they were quite faithful and had good understanding. If you remember in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 67 and 68, after Jesus taught some hard things, what we're told is that some of the disciples who followed Jesus followed Him no more. They left Him. And then Jesus turns to the apostles and what does He say? He says, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered to Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, the apostles, for all of their unfaithfulness, they understood that reality. Right, that Jesus had the words of eternal life. But what we ought to see then is how much the believer themselves needs to hear the Gospel message as well. 
Right? In the picture of what we see of the apostles and their forgetfulness of the message. Right? We need to see how, how dire it is for us to be people who are constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel. Because we too are those who are quick to forget the gospel. We are quick to forget God's words, are we not? We are quick to forget God's promises. I mean, how many times does Jesus tell them that He would raise from the dead? And yet the apostles weren't there on the third day to welcome Him as He arose. Right? They didn't even have enough faith to believe that when Mary and the two men on the road to Emmaus told them that He arose, to believe in that, they still rejected that. Right? And instead they remained in hiding. They were scared, thinking that Jesus was dead. And so we have to see that the very best of God's servants, the very closest of, of Christ's allies, still suffer from spiritual weakness and unbelief. This is why, brothers and sisters, it's so important that we maintain a close relationship with the Word of God. Right? That we know and understand the promises of God and, and remind ourselves of those often so that we do not forget God's Word, so that we do not forget uh, God's promises to us. Because when we do, that's oftentimes when the Christian errs. Right? Both in faith and practice. We see this in many examples in the Scripture, do we not? Right? Think back to the, to the Galatians. Right? They had forgotten the Gospel and, turned, and were starting to turn to another one, right? They forgot the, the Gospel. Or think about Paul's letter to the, 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 the Thessalonians, First, uh, first Thessalonians. Uh, chapter 4. If you remember, Paul's writing because they are an heir thinking that their dead loved ones now are going to miss out on the resurrection. Right? They, they forgot the words of the Gospel that Christ would rise and that, he would, and that we would be raised with Him. Or think about the book of Hebrews. What is the author to the Hebrews doing the whole time? He's saying, right, don't forget the work of Christ. Don't forget what you learned about Christ. Don't go back to those Jewish ceremonies anymore. Christ is the final sacrifice. It is in Christ that your sin is forgiven. Right? And so you see, we, we have to be people who are constantly reminding ourselves of the Word of God and of the promises of God. But I want us to also see then that we are, ought not to be surprised uh, when sometimes we do, when, when, when we do have doubts though. Uh, when we do have bouts of unbelief, we, we ought not to be surprised because we see that it's natural sometimes for Christians to do that because we are still sinful man. Although we ought to be pursuing in our life perfection, on this side of heaven, we will not attain it. And so what we need to do, brothers and sisters, is I think that we need to stop uh, expecting other brothers and sisters in Christ to be perfect and then questioning their faith when they are not and when they disappoint us. Right? Because we don't see Christ doing that to the apostles, do we? And we shouldn't be holding other people to a standard that we ourselves can't maintain either. But not only should we not be doing that and questioning the, the, the faith of someone else who isn't perfect, who is a believer in Christ, we also ought not to do that to ourselves. Right? When you disappoint yourself through unbelief, that's not the time to, to question your faith and to fall into, into depression and say, oh, am I even a believer in Christ? No, but rather that, that, 
that distress you feel, that, 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 that uh, sadness over your even questioning Christ or your unbelief is, ought to be evidence to you that you are a believer. Right? Our doubt is just a reminder that sin exists and that believers still sin. And what, what should that cause us to want to do though? As believers, it ought to cause us to, to long for the day that Christ returns where no longer do we deal with, with disbelief and doubt, but rather at that time, as Christians, God will perfect us in Christ. Right? We ought to long for that. But this is why the gospel is so necessary now. Because it tells us Christ died for that sin. He died for that, that weakness of your faith that you have. He died for you in those times in which you backslide or that you have doubt. Right? He, he died for your sin. He had suffered the torments of hell upon the cross. So that if you believe in His name and you repent of your sin, that He is faithful and just to forgive you and to save you into everlasting life. This leads us then into our second point this morning, then which is the means by which Christ changes the heart. Point number two, the means by which Christ changes the heart. Please then look with me at verses 15 to 18. Verses 15 to 18. Here we read this. And He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And they will drink any deadly poison and it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now it's interesting uh, to note that nowhere in the New Testament um, are we are we commanded as believers uh, to, to read your Bible? It would have been the Old Testament Scriptures at that time. But nowhere in the, in the, in the New Testament are, you, are, are believers commanded to read their Bible. Okay. Just so you know, I, I believe that we should read our Bible and it's, it's important. But I'm making a point here. I'm making a point. Um, because we put such a heavy emphasis on, on reading personally, the Bible, right? Uh, our personal Bible study. And, and that's important, it is. Um, but there are reasons why there is not a, a command to read the Bible. One of those things is there's not a printing press at the time, and so there are very few copies and so every, you know, of, the, of the Old Testament Scriptures, and so not everyone can have them. Right? Not everyone can have them. And so we have to ask ourselves, though, in light of that, how is it that people... Uh, came to learn about what God did through His special revelation. Right? How does man come to learn what, what Christ did for them? It's through the preaching of the Gospel. It's not through the reading of it. It's through the preaching of the Gospel. This is why as the Reformed, uh, why Reformed people confess or, or say that the preaching of the Word is the primary means of grace. Right? The preaching of the Word is the primary means of grace. This is why we say that the preaching of the Word is the way that God ordinarily saves sinners. Just think back to the early church. We'll take just a few examples of this together. Uh, think back to Acts chapter 2. Right? What, is, what does Peter do? He, he preaches the Word to the men of Israel and they say, well, what are we to do? And he says, right, repent for the forgiveness of sin and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Right? There's, he's repenting. 
delivering that message, preaching that message to them. And then we're told 3,000 that day received the word that he proclaimed and were baptized. Or think about Acts chapter 16. We're told that Paul was preaching that day and there was a woman named Lydia standing by and she's hearing it. And the Lord opens her heart to believe and to receive the word that was proclaimed. Or think about later on in Acts 16, uh, the Philippian jailer. We're told this great earthquake comes over the jail and it, it breaks everyone free. And so the Philippian jailer thinks he's going to be punished for this and so he's going to kill himself. Well, what does Paul say to him? Don't kill yourself. He brings him out of the jail. And the man says, what do I have to do to be saved? And what does Paul do? He declares to him a message in verse 31 saying, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What does Jesus say in John chapter 10, verse 27? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They hear my voice. That in fact is what is happening when the Word of God is being proclaimed. When the Word of God is faithfully being proclaimed in churches today, it is Christ who is speaking through the lowly minister to the people. This is why Paul can say in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes through hearing, hearing the words of Christ. It is Christ who speaks to you. Perhaps if, if more people understood that it was Christ who they come to hear on the Lord's day, right, they would find the preaching of the word a little more pleasant to sit under. And they wouldn't be waiting for the message to end so that they could depart. Christ today, as the Word of God is proclaimed to you, is speaking to you. Hear His voice. Hear His voice. Now the preached Word of God is a means for what? It's a means to produce faith then in the hearer. God changes the heart of the sinner by grace through faith. But it only comes through when you hear the Word of God proclaimed. And so we cannot divorce all of those pieces of the puzzle. Right? Faith is indispensable to salvation. This is why Jesus says in verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now we'll get back to the baptism portion of that in just, in just a bit. Because I know probably some of you as you sit here, you have some questions about that. But what Jesus says in verse 16 is no different than what He says other places. In John chapter 3, verse 18, He says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. Right? And so we see that in, in both statements that not only does God use His Word to, to save people, it's proclaimed and people come to faith and believe, but He also uses His Word so that people might hear it, reject it and be condemned as well. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, this is what we're told. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish what I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word goes out with a purpose and it always succeeds when it is proclaimed. This is why, though, Jesus then says in in Mark chapter 4, if you remember, in that parable of the sower, that unto the apostles it was given to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but not to the others. That's why He spoke in parables. 
And what does he do there in that text? He quotes from Isaiah 6. And if you remember Isaiah 6, the Lord tells Isaiah to go preach to the Israelites. And he tells them, they're not going to listen to you, but I want you to go preach to them anyway, because they're going to be condemned by the message. And this is what then uh, Jesus quotes in Mark chapter 4. Right? This is what he tells them. He says, so that, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, hear but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. And so we see that Jesus calls the apostles to go preach the Word because it is through the preaching of the Gospel that men come to faith in Christ. It is through the preaching of the Gospel that God uses as a means to draw sinners to Himself. But the preaching of the Gospel is also the means that God uses to to condemn the the, the guilty and to um, extend even more so uh, their condemnation for rejecting the Gospel of God. And so even today... We do not know who is going to come to faith in Christ. That is why we are told to, to preach indiscriminately to all. Right? Because all men need Christ. And Christ still today is doing His saving work. And so we are to proclaim the Gospel and then leave it in God's hands. Right? As He tells us, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will harden whom I will harden. But we see that as the Word goes out here in our text today, at the beginning of the church, he extends some, some extra kind of temporal grace to that early church, does he not? And that he allows these sign gifts to accompany the proclamation of the word, the establishment of the early church. And these early sign gifts are, are kind of like badges or, or credentials we might think of the Mass. Uh, if, you, if you work for a company and you have a badge, right? you walk up and you, maybe you show someone the badge, what does it, what does it say? Right? It, it says what company you work for, right? who you are, maybe, maybe what it is that you do. Right? That is how we are to think about these sign gifts that the apostles used. They were their badges. They were their credentials showing sinners that they were working in and through the power of the risen Christ. That is what those were. What we also see, though, brothers and sisters, is that then with the death of the apostles also came the cessation of the signed gifts. Okay? With the death of the apostles is the cessation of the signed gifts. And I, and I think we see that here uh, in our text today. Right? If you look at verse 17, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Right? In my name they will do those things. Now a lot of times what people, what people will say was, is, yeah, that has to do with verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So that these signed gifts accompany anyone who's baptized. But I submit to you that's not what our text is saying here. But rather, verse 17 refers back to verse 14. Okay? And what do we read in verse 14? Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves, and as they were reclining at the table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe. And so now he's saying to them in verse 17, and these signs will accompany you who believe. And I think that in verse 20, it confirms that interpretation. Because in verse 20, what are we told? And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the accompanying signs. Right? Who went out? The apostles went out. How does He confirm the message in the apostles who preached the Word? Through the accompanying signs. 
He's not talking about all people everywhere. He's talking about the, the belief of the apostles. That they believed what he said. He was going to bless them in their preaching of the word through accompanying them with these signs so that people would believe what they were saying, seeing that they were not working in their own power, but by the power of the risen Christ. And so that with the death then of the apostles, we see then the cessation of these gifts. But what we also see here is a, is, a, is a quick change of the apostles, do we not? They went from unbelief to belief. And belief manifests itself in, in obedience. That's what we see. Faith manifests itself in obedience. And this takes us into our third and final point, which is the obedience of the saints. The obedience of the saints. Here then we'll pick back up at verse 16, where Jesus says, whoever believes, will be baptized, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. The first thing that I want us to see here, I want us to note, is that whatever you believe about this text, faith precedes baptism. Right? Faith precedes baptism. One has to be able to hear the Word, understand the Word, and believe the Word before they are baptized. Right? It is not upon your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith that you are baptized. It is upon hearing the Word and believing that one is baptized. Next, what I want us to see is what this text also cannot mean. Uh, everyone's aware of, of that passage where Jesus is hanging on the cross and the thief next to Him, right? That Jesus tells the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise when he dies. So what this, pas- what this passage does not mean is that baptism is necessary like faith is necessary. Okay? Bap- baptism is not necessary as faith is necessary. Right? Faith is indispensable from salvation. Baptism is not. And we have proof of that there. Jesus doesn't say, sorry, you're not going to make it because you can't be baptized. No, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. So that text means does not mean that one must be baptized in order to be saved. So we have to ask the question, then, what does it mean? Right? What does it mean that when he says whoever believes and is baptized is saved? Well, what we have to understand is that oftentimes in the Scripture, faith and baptism uh, are linked together. Right? They're linked together as, as almost like a pair. We see this in Acts 2 with Peter's proclamation. Where he says, repent uh, for the forgiveness of sin and be baptized in the name of Jesus. We see this in Acts 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. Right? He's reading that Isaiah scroll. Philip comes along. He preaches to him. He tells him, teaches him what it, what it says. He believes. The eunuch sees water and says, what prevents me from being baptized? And so we need to see that baptism is placed here besides faith simply because being baptized upon a profession of faith is the positive command that God has given to all who believe. So it is natural for anyone who believes and is saved to be baptized. It is natural. If if I believe, I will be the one who is baptized. This is why, though, we have to see he doesn't add that for the unbeliever. All he says for them is, and if they do not believe, they are condemned. Why? Because naturally the unbeliever is not going to seek Baptism, are they? And so that's why baptism is not added to the unbeliever. It is faith we have to see that saves. It is unbelief that condemns. But for those who believe, 
Right? Baptism is that first act of obedience to the Lord that we publicly demonstrate, that we publicly confess before the church that Christ is ours and we are His and that He has washed our sins clean by His blood and that He has caused us now to walk in newness of life. It is the, baptism is the uniform that believers now wear. Right? You are saying, I am on Team Christ. I am a soldier of the Lord. That is what you are declaring to the church when you are baptized. Right? Understand this, there is no power in the water of baptism. There is nothing mysterious going on in those waters as you are plunged underneath and, and brought back up. Right? But it's something that, that, that uh, Christ demands of us. And so true faith obeys the commands of God. Right? This is why it's a demonstration of, of false faith for someone who would deny the ordinance of baptism. Because this is something God commands and so we are to do it. Because what are we told? You will know the believer by their good works. You will know them by their fruit. Right? You're not saved by your fruit just like you aren't saved by baptism. But your baptism is a response to your faith which demonstrates that you truly are saved. That you truly are a believer. Just as all obedience is. This is what we see in verse 19 of our text today. So then the Lord Jesus, after He had spoken, said to them, after he had spoken to, excuse me, after he was spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God. And what did they do? They went out and they preached everywhere. Right? They demonstrated the veracity of their faith, the truthfulness of their faith in their obedience. And so what does Christ do then? He blesses them by working in and through them by those accompanying sign gifts. And he does the same thing. He, he blesses his children today. He blesses, he blesses us when He tells us, right, train your children up in the way that they shall go and they will not depart. Right? He promises to bless the children of believers. That's a general promise, but He promises that to believers. He promises to, to believing children in Ephesians chapter 6. Right? Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land. Right? He promises to bless your obedience. Right? He promises to, to bless those who pray. By answering prayer, He promises to bless all who believe. He tells the woman at the well in John 4.13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. We have to see this. When we come to church, when we gather as a corporate body, He promises to bless us here this day. He promises to bless us through the administration of the sacraments as we will be taking this morning. The heart that believes in Christ loves Christ and the heart that loves Christ will be compelled to obey Him. This is why the Gospel is so important. That Jesus begins by preaching it and before He departs this earth ends by commissioning the apostles to do it. This is what Gospel ministers are tasked with today to proclaim the Word. But this is what you are tasked with as well within the walls of your own home. You ought to be proclaiming the gospel to your spouse and to your children and to, and to those who come into your home. And we will continue to proclaim that gospel until the Christ who ascended descends one final time. And so the question, brothers and sisters, is, is do you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Right? Jesus promises, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. 
Right? This is why Mark writes the Gospel. So that you would hear the good news. That you would hear who Christ is. And that you would believe. And so I call upon you. Don't linger in unbelief anymore. Cast your soul upon the feet of Christ. Cry out to Him in repentance and faith. For tomorrow is not promised to you. And the, the greatest question that can be answered is this. right? Do you believe in Christ? Is He your Lord and Savior? And so I call upon all of you, right, non-believer and believer alike this day, to believe, believe, believe. Bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the, the Gospel of Mark. We are so thankful for all that it has taught us. How You have used it to, to sanctify Your body here. We pray, Father, that You would cause us to reflect and remember what this Gospel was all about. Ultimately, it was a Gospel to point us to Jesus Christ. Uh, that He might be glorified as His church uh, trusts and receives the Word with joy and gladness and, and goes out into the world proclaiming this message so that others would likewise hear the good news of God saving grace in Christ and come to faith in Him and believe. And so, Father, we just ask that You would uh, bless us this day, that You would sanctify us by Your Word this morning, and that, Lord, You would implant this Word into our hearts that we might go forth into the world and live out the truths of Your Word that You have taught us, that we would be obedient to each and every one of Your commands. So, Father, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.